Thank you. We don't need that one right now. Probably up there. There we go. Now, we turn that down a little bit because that's a little on the hot side, but we'll get there. You know, before we take the morning times and offerings, a couple weeks ago, when we were still in this series and we're still in the middle of it, called Getting Ready, Are You Ready? We talked about being generous. Are you ready to be generous? And um, that sermon's online if you wanted to listen to that one in the, in the, in the podcast. But I wanted you to, to know that we're not just asking people to be generous. The, the scripture doesn't just call us to generosity. And by the way, once again, if you can afford brand new cars and three houses and, and still be generous, then, be, then do it. There's nothing wrong with that. God is not against wealth, nor is he against possessions. Just make sure that we're still able to be generous in our giving. I told you last time when we got together that uh, I don't have new cars. Cause, and let me tell you why. It's because I pay, get ready, $660 a month for school loans. That's what I pay. And I'll be paying that for oh, two years. Now, if I wasn't paying that, I'd have two nice cars. But I can't pay that and then buy cars and I would have no money to be generous with. So we made the decision to drive some older cars, pay off our school loans, and still be generous. I wanted you to see, however, how generous the church is. So I put together a little PowerPoint. Here we go. Let's see what we've got. This is the missions PowerPoint, so hopefully it's going to come up. It ran during rehearsal time. There we go. We're getting there. There it is. That's us. What a great-looking church building out there. Huh? Isn't that wonderful? Now, we exist right there. Let's go to the next one. In the state of Oregon. There we are, okay? Now, 7% of everything that comes into this church goes to help ministries around the state of Oregon. 7% of everything that comes in about goes, and we're planting four churches now, up particularly in the Portland area. We've got one in Portland, we've got uh, one in Sherwood, we've got one in McMinnville, and we have another one in the uh, Oregon City area. Okay, And every time we give, 7% of that goes to help fund these churches. That's why it's kind of fun to be part of the conference and then come to annual conference, wherever it is, and see what God is doing. We're not even talking about the other places in the Oregon that we're actually helping through our generosity. Now, we also exist in the United States of America as part of the Free Methodist Church of North America. There we are. 3% of what we give approximately goes to help the ministries all around the United States and other places as well. So as we are planting churches and helping other conferences, because we're part of the Oregon Conference, there are about 23 other conferences around the United States, 3% of everything that comes in goes, goes there. Okay? But then we also have missions giving, specifically given to missions, and most of that right now is raised through our Sunday school classroom. Sunday school takes an offering, but we want to let you know that anybody can give to that, and it's not a bad way to designate some extra monies after you've given your tithes and offerings. If you're looking for some place to really make an impact, we have missions giving. Let me show you right here. So first of all, here we are in the world. Now that's going to be very important. I want you to see the influence we have in the world. Let's go to the next slide. The first one that we do is called International Child Care. And so the first $90 that comes in, we have three children that we support. As a matter of fact, here are the children right here. Let's take a look at them. Princess Roble from the Philippines, Darylin Garcia from Ecuador, and Kinderson Siede from Haiti. We send them $30 a month, and what happens is the families use that for their education, for their clothing, for everything else, because these people live in very, very poor areas. Their parents are laborers if they're employed at all. We, every month, send the money to help them. Okay, let's go on to the next one. So that's international child care. You can see already the influence that we have right there, there, and there. Let's move on. 
The next place that we give is we actually give money to two world areas. We send money to India, about $200 a month, and believe it or not, that fully supports two Indian pastors. They make $100 a month. We are supporting two pastors. The church in India is growing by leaps and bounds. We cannot even keep up with it. Already there are so many more in India than there are right here in the United States. Free Methodist people who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. It is incredible what is happening there. We help support that right there. So let's take a look at, there we go. Now our influence is expanding. But that's not the only area. We also support Malawi with a couple hundred dollars a month. Remember Malawi? I went and taught there about two years ago. We raised funds right here within the church, and we sent every one of those students right there that you see has their entire education paid for their five-year career by this church right here. That's how much we sent to them two years ago. Every one of them, their entire educational career was paid by this church. Now take a look at those pastors right there. Oh, no, let's go back. Sorry. Can we go back to that, uh, that picture? Okay. <clears throat> see those pastors right there? Not one of them has running water or electricity in their home. We have 100 pastors in Malawi. One has running water and electricity. The other 99 live in mud huts. Some of them are fortunate. They have actual tin roofs. Most of them have thatched roofs. Many of their churches are tree with a little thatch hut off the side, and that's where they hold services. One hundred pastors in Malawi. We help support the work in Malawi every time we give. Okay, so now let's take a look at our influence right here. There we go. Okay, it's getting bigger all the time, but that's not all. Here's the other place that we give. We also believe in creation care, and so we're part of what's called Eden Reforestation, and each month we send Eden Reforestation enough money to plant 1,000 trees a month. This whole ministry was started by a friend of mine named Steve Fitch. He was our superintendent down in Southern California. As he traveled the world, he saw villages and areas that were completely devastated because of deforestation. People had cut down every tree as far as you can possibly see. The soil was eroding. They lived in incredible poverty. And his vision was to go back into those areas and to actually start nurseries, plant nurseries there, hire local people to raise the trees, plant the trees, and guard the trees until maturity. And that's Steve Fitch right up there in the, in the top corner. And so we send... $100, which plants 1,000 trees in here, these areas right here. Now we can move on. Haiti, Ecuador, no, Haiti, and uh, what is it, Kenya, and Madagascar are the three areas that we are really now helping to re take care of God's creation and at the same time give work to villagers and at the same time then also protect their water sources and things like that. But that's not all. Then we also do this every month. We're a part of what's called Seed. Now, Seed Ministry is a ministry that goes around the world. We send about $500 a month to Seed. And what they do is they come into villages primarily for widows. And most of these places are just like in the, in the New Testament, the time of Jesus. If a woman was a widow, she had no means of support, period. That was it. She could be a prostitute. She could starve unless somebody took her in because they couldn't work. Many of the third world countries today, that's still how it is. Seed goes in with the gospel of Jesus Christ and teaches these women how to be self-supporting so that we don't have to send them money to live on. We send them money so that they can begin micro-businesses in the name of Jesus Christ that are sold all, and they make products that are sold all the way around the world. So let me show you all the different areas that we're involved in right here. 
there's Peru, and uh, let's see, there's, oh, I keep forgetting all the ones that are in there. It's just quite amazing. From this church right here, those are the areas that we touch. That's what it means to be generous. And I wanted you to see that, okay? Can we pray about that? Father, thank you so much. You've called us to generosity, and Father, you're teaching us to be generous as we give, wherever we give, Father, as you lead us. But Father, we want to set the example right here also in the name of Jesus Christ. As this church is generous, you've given us the resources to be generous, and you get the glory and the praise in the name of Jesus for all the ways and all the communities that are being touched. We will get up with you one day, Father, and we will meet thousands of people who were touched by the generosity of this church right here. Father, I wanted everybody to understand that while we're calling people to to be generous, which is what your word asks us to do, we also model that in that generosity. And we give you praise in the name of Jesus for what you're doing. Thank you, Father. Amen. Ushers, come and receive the morning tithes and offerings, and we'll continue with our service. Let's sing.
Thank you, praise team. I appreciate that very much. We want to give uh, the Lord praise. Also, something I didn't tell you is in our missions giving and our generosity, this church will give away this year somewhere between fifty-five dollars and $60,000 for all the ministries. And you're right. We need to just say thank you, Father, for that. Okay? And we also want to say thank you, Father, because a couple of our people were in surgery this week, and I just didn't even realize it until recently. Judy Rowe had surgery, but she's home and doing fine. And then Jeff Kennedy, who is here, how's, how's the side, Jeff? Doing all right? He had uh, appendicitis and an emergency appendectomy this week. So uh, you had to take a little time off work, correct? Did you get to do any fishing or not? Oh, that's what I figured. It's, yeah, when, when they said, oh, you're going to have to take two days off work, he was going, oh, that's just doing all fishing, fishing, fishing. That's Jeff. Okay, nice to have you here, guys. All right, we're right in the middle of a series. We have one more after today called, Are You Ready? And it just means that there are several times within Scripture that Jesus actually, in the Scripture, actually tells us to be ready. So far, what we've seen is this, the Scripture does tell us to be ready for His coming. That was a couple weeks ago. That was when we started this whole thing. Are you ready for His coming? Do you know Him? And you're going to have something to share because we want Him to be able to say to us, Well done, now good and faithful servant, instead of, well, I, I knew you, but you really messed up because you didn't do anything for me. So that was a couple weeks ago. That sermon's online if you want to listen to it. And then the last time we got together, last week, of course, was all about the youth and what God did in their, in their uh, missions trip. This couple weeks ago, we talked about, are you ready to be generous? That's what we've been mentioning. And I know that sermons on giving, some people, you know, the, the wall goes up. We try to do our very best to say, you know, this is... God is calling us to be generous. And that's why I ended the whole thing by saying, you have to be generous. Generosity is for your benefit and for your soul. And just to make sure you're not thinking I'm trying to get more money for the church, if you want to be generous and give it to someplace else, do it. Because it's more important for you to be generous than it is for you to give it right here. Now, hopefully we're worthy here of receiving your generosity in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if not, don't hold it and don't spend it someplace else. Be generous somewhere else. All right? Today, are you ready <coughs> with your Jesus story. Your Jesus story. Now we call this, this Jesus story lots of different names. In the past we called it things like a personal evangelism or, or witnessing or sharing. And, but whatever you call it, we need to be ready to do it. And here's why. Take a look at this passage right here. Always. Isn't it interesting? Let's stop right there. <laughs> always. You know what always means? It means Okay, boy, you guys are so sharp. Why did I go to school all those years? Yeah. Always be prepared. In other words, always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you... Why are you a Christ follower? Scripture says we need to always be ready if someone says, why do you do this? What do you say to them? Are we ready? But... Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And now I know there's a very famous quote, and I'm going to put it up here right from St. Francis of Assisi, and it goes this way. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And we love that. I mean, that's, that's a great quote. Because, you know, really what it says is, you know, 
what we really need to do is make sure that, you know, if you just live out and you're living your light, and, and that's nice. But if we're really going to preach the gospel well, you're going to have to use words. Actions alone won't be enough. Actions alone might be, might be enough for someone to go, boy, there's something different. But they won't know what it is, and they won't know where to find it unless we're ready to be able to share. This is what Scripture says right here. How can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one that can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? Now, I know that when we talk about evangelism, personal witness, things like that, we get a little nervous. It's the same thing with money. Lots of reasons that we don't share often. And fear, you're afraid of rejection, you're afraid they'll make fun of you. Uh, time, we're so busy, my, we don't have time to sit and talk to somebody. A lot of misunderstanding about what it means to be an evangelist and what it means to share Jesus. So I'm going to, I have a few videos I'm going to show you today, all right? I don't normally do a lot, but these are great. So I want to show you how not to do it. Here we go. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> and yet, you know, for a lot of people, they, they really think evangelism is kind of in your face. It's that, you know, scare them into heaven by frightening them with hell and everything else, and the hard sell kind of thing, but that's not what it's about. So what we want to focus on for the rest of our time this morning, because we want to talk about telling your Jesus story. You have a Jesus story. You do. Whether you know it or not, if you're a Christ follower, you have a Jesus story. It's that simple. You do have one. You maybe have never formed it or shaped it into something that you can share with somebody because you think evangelism is, you know, going door to door. Have you come to the place in your spiritual life? You've got to get in people's face. That's not evangelism. We're talking about telling your Jesus story. Okay, ready? Now we're to your sermon notes. Here we go. First of all, what does it mean to tell our Jesus story? Well, first we want to be gentle and respectful. While that's up there, let me read for you. Let me remind you the passage that we're, we're basing this on today, Okay. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness 
and respect. Now, gentleness and respect may not be fashionable these days. And if you've been tuning into what's happening in the political world as we're getting ready for the the election season, you know that much of the conversation is not about being gentle and respectful. In fact, some of the politicians who are gaining the most traction are brash and in your face and disrespectful. Okay? Now, that may be okay in politics. And you also may believe that that's the kind of person you want to lead the country one day. That'll be your ability to vote here in about a year, a little over a year. That's fine. But don't bring it in the church. There is no place for in your face, disrespectful, finger pointing in the church. And don't use it as a strategy for your Jesus story. There's been so much damage done through the people who, like our pizza evangelists, want to get in your face and rip you, force you, sell you, like a used car salesman selling salvation. Scripture absolutely tells us that when we share our Jesus story, we always do so with gentleness and respect. This is why. Take a look at this. Scripture says this, a gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles a temper, um, kindles a temper fire. In other words, that gentle word can have so much power, but that in-your-face attitude always has a response, and the wall goes up. And no one listens to your Jesus story. This is also from Proverbs. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Do you, do you know what he means by that? What does he mean by a gentle tongue can break a bone? Give me your thoughts. What do you think? A gentle tongue can break a bone. What does it mean? Gentle words are powerful. Can you break a bone with a baseball bat? You sure can, but you know what? Your gentle words can be just as powerful and just as persuasive. In fact, more so because people will listen. Your forceful word, they may actually agree to you, probably only just to get rid of you. But the gentle answer, that's the one we're looking for. You can't use a fear-based, in-your-face approach with your Jesus story because then you wouldn't be talking about Jesus. This is what he said about himself. Come to me, O you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden. You cannot talk about the gentle, loving, caring Savior with an in-your-face, brash, disrespectful tone or approach. Now, I hear some of you say, well, you know, but Jesus was in, yeah. Occasionally, Jesus was in your face. He did it maybe a couple of times, and every single time is with religious hypocrites, not with the unsaved. With people who were seeking him, with people who needed him, he was gentle and loving and caring and forgiving. Religious hypocrites, oh yeah, in their face. But when we're telling our Jesus story, we're usually not sharing with religious hypocrites. We're sharing with people who need to hear. And they need to listen. 
And they're only going to listen if we are gentle and respectful. The second thing this passage tells us about sharing our Jesus story is make it your lifestyle and not your hobby. In other words, your Jesus story is your lifestyle. It's what you live. It's who you are. Here is where that one quote from St. Francis of Assisi comes in. Make sure that if you preach the gospel before you ever say anything, at least preach it in your life. Don't make it your hobby. Remember, this is what the, the passage that we just read. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Okay, in other words, whatever we share about Jesus Christ, we have to be able to live. We don't want to say, well, you know, do as I say and not as I do, which is why you need to be careful what you share. Because if we're sharing things like, well, you know, Christians, we, we, we just don't sin. Well, then they look at your life and go, well, what, what about you? What happened? Don't share that. It's stupid. It's nothing to do with the Jesus story. Make sure that whatever we share is what we're living. We're going to talk about how to do that in just a moment. Here's the third thing about telling your Jesus story, and this is a huge departure for me. I've got to tell you, this is so different from the one I first started, because when I first started, I, it was, it was, I would have violated this all over the place. Don't say much about what you believe. Enough with the theology. And some of you right now are mad at me, aren't you? Because you love theology. You want to you share and talk a point by point and this and this. When I uh, first started in ministry as a pastor of evangelism and discipleship, um, this is what we did. I actually taught people how to share theology. You know, grace, man, God, Christ, faith. All the different points of theology. And the whole idea was to argue someone into the kingdom not with you know, being forceful, but, but by kind of the logic that you would have. You know, talk about, the, well, the Bible says this, and the Bible says this, and what about this, and what about that? And it kind of talked them into the kingdom because I argued them that way. And I can teach you how to do that. You have people who come to your door dressed up in sometimes white shirts and ties and other times they're Jehovah's Witness, and they're taught how to argue you into the kingdom. They want to share theology and, and go point by point by point with you. Don't do that. That's not your Jesus story. You can't argue people into the kingdom. It doesn't work like it used to. Now, there was a time it actually worked. There's a reason that it worked. For that, we'd have to go into the whole understanding of what it means to be modern versus postmodern. And I'm the very end of the moderns. I love propositional truth, and that's the way I the world. Matt's shaking his head and going because Matt is postmodern. He wasn't taught that way. He doesn't see the world that way. The same argument that worked with me would fall flat with him. Something changed in about the 1960s and the world isn't the same anymore. And people don't even see truth the same way anymore. So you can't argue the way we used to argue. And you know how it comes across when we talk theology? Well, this and this. Like, well, no, this is what Scripture says right here. Take a look at this. But all the being a know-it-all makes us feel important. I love that, see. I went to school to be a know-it-all. What's really needed to build the church is love. If anyone thinks he knows all the answers, he's just showing his ignorance, and that hurts. I have to tell you, as one who's invested so much in my education, that hurts. Because sometimes that's the way I want to do it. I just want to rely on all the stuff I know 
and argue you right into the ground with my superior logic. And Scripture says, don't do that. Particularly when you're sharing your Jesus story. And you know why you really can't even rely on your Bible knowledge in sharing your Jesus story anymore? Because the world that you're going to share the Jesus story doesn't believe in the Bible. You're going to walk up to them and say, well, the Bible says, and they're going to say, so what? I don't believe the Bible. Now what do you do? Well, but, but, but the Bible, over well, they don't believe it. It's not an authority to them. Now, I grew up in the 60s, and the Bible was still an authority to the world. It isn't today. To pull it out and, and, and to say to, to someone who needs to hear the Jesus story, well, this is what the Bible says. They say, I, it's a fairy tale. Now what? Now what? Now, you don't share what? Let me show you another way not to do it, all right? Here we go. We do want to share our Jesus story, but not like that. All he did was talk about Christian platitudes. It didn't make any sense to the guys talking to. It, it didn't work. Now, we understood everything he said. You know, I once was blind, now I see, I've got the. We, we got it. We got that. Because that's the Christianese way of speaking. 
the guy he's talking to had no idea. So he didn't really get a chance to share his Jesus story. He just talked in church language and the guy went running. There was just nothing really that worked. Hmm. Don't talk about what you believe. But I do want you to do this. Talk about who you believe. And for those of you who know English, should that be whom you believe? Is that it? I don't know. I don't really care. But this is it. See, this is what I'm trying to get you to understand about sharing your Jesus story. It's not about what you believe. Well, I believe this and this and this and this and this. Talk about who you believe. Who do you believe? Who do you are trusting in? Let's talk about Jesus Christ. Not just about the theology or all the grace man, God, Christ, faith, and all the, you know, the points and the subpoints and all this other kind of stuff. Just talk about Jesus. Don't be afraid of Jesus. Share your Jesus story. Let me show you this from, from when Paul is writing to, uh, to Timothy. This is in 2 Timothy, meaning Paul understands this is it. He's already been in jail once. He's been released. You find out in 1 Timothy. He's back in jail. He will not be released. He will be executed. He knows it. Some of the most important words that he's writing now because this is the end for him. And he talks to Timothy and he's trying to encourage Timothy about, about telling his Jesus story. And he says, so don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy... By the way, if you ever want the gospel and we're understanding of how God works, here it is, right here. This is one of the most important verses in all the Bible to memorize. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Let's move on. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. God chose before anything else happened that he would choose us in Jesus Christ, not based on what we do, but on grace and faith. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is an incredible passage. Let's move on. Yet I am not ashamed because I know what I believe in. I can give you my theology point by point. I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day, that day when I need him. It's not about what I believe. It's about who I believe. This passage is told, how many of you, oh boy, this is going to be old. Some of us, are you ready? Remember it? I know not why this wondrous grace to me he has made known. Or why, can we finish that one? Re Go ahead. Redeem me as his own. Ready? You know the chorus. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Younger people are going, what in the world is that? By the way, words like believe it, I know whom I have believe it. We only did that in hymns. No one ever says believe it. But it worked in the hymns. Because even back then we, were, we understood that it's about it's not about what, it's about who. Today we have one very similar, don't we? Those of you who are the younger generation, what's that song like? Do you remember that one? I am not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know in his right hand stands one who is my Savior. Okay. Same message. 
different generations. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. Paul says, you know, my confidence isn't in my theology. And it's not in my belief system. My confidence is in Jesus Christ. There it is. It's the most important thing about your Jesus story. And here it is right here. Talk about the difference knowing Jesus has made in your life. That's it. That's what a Jesus story is all about. Please don't, you don't have to defend him. You don't have to go into the theology. You don't have to go into the, the Old Testament and say, well, let me prove to you that Jesus is the Christ. Forget that. That's not your Jesus story. Your Jesus story is the difference that he's made within your life. And hopefully he's made a difference. He has made a huge difference, and you probably don't even know it because sometimes the changes that he makes are so subtle and so slow, you don't even realize they're being made. But they're there. I'm going to give you six things that you can build your Jesus story around, right? So these six things, could, you could build your whole Jesus story on one of these six things as you share with people what God has done. Ready? How about this one? Purpose for my life. Let me give you my Jesus story about purpose in my life because that was something that was the most important for me prior to coming to know Jesus Christ. I didn't even know why I was here. It was a question of, the, the, I, what's this whole thing? What is life about? And I never really understood what life was about. But when I came to know Jesus Christ, I understood then that my purpose in life was to know him. There was a purpose for living right here in this world. We're not talking about what happens when I die. I mean right here, right now. I no longer struggle with my purpose in life. I sold that issue a long time ago when Jesus Christ came into my life, when I accepted him, when I trusted him. I now realize why I'm here. That's my Jesus story. How about the second one? Unconditionally love for who I am. This is a good Jesus story. Because I think many of us can relate to this. My Jesus story when it comes to being unconditionally loved for who I am, that was, I used to hide. Before I knew Jesus Christ, I wanted to hide all the time. I didn't like being the center of attention. I hated people to point out who I was. I wanted to just live my life on the edges and then slowly disappear because I was not acceptable. And I was always afraid that people would point that out. There were times in my life that people did. It's amazing the things you can remember growing up. Hurtful things that people said 50 years ago. And they're so fresh. As people, through their actions and attitudes and actual words, let me know that I was not valuable. And I didn't have a place. And so rather than face that, I hid. And I ran. And I met Jesus Christ. And I began to realize that he took me just where I was. He didn't say, Doug, you, you, when you achieve all this, when you do these things, when you're better looking, when you're around, then I'll love you. He said, just the way you are, right now. I love you so much. And there were still people in my life that would want to put me down or reject me, but you know, the, the whole idea that I am loved unconditionally by my Father. I don't have to live up to a standard for Him to love me. He loves me. Doesn't mean he's not disappointed from time to time. I understand that, but he loves me and that love will never go away. And now it doesn't really matter if you love me or not. I want to be liked. I do. But if you don't like me, well, nuts to you. My heavenly father loves me. Here's a third one. Confidence in times of turmoil. 
Take a look at this. No, no, let's go secure for all eternity. Yeah, there we go. Security for all eternity. Now, see, for some people, this is a big deal. Uh, it was 30, 40 years ago. It's not that big of a deal today. But for those who are a little bit older, and particularly those of us who are getting closer to this time that eternity is a lot nearer than it used to be, just to know, you know what? I don't worry about that. I don't worry about what would happen. I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen. I'm just not worried about it any longer. I don't know whether there's going to be streaks of gold or I, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I just know that that issue's been settled for me. So as I see people around me and more and more of my friends and family are, are crossing that divide, I have exactly one aunt from my parents' generation still walking. And then when she's gone and she's in her probably mid-80s, the next generation, my generation's it. The previous generation and my family will be gone. That means the next one to go will be from my generation. And that doesn't frighten me. Because I know. I, I don't have all the answers about what it's going to be like or where. I just know. So I don't fear it. Or how about this? Confidence in times of turmoil. My Jesus story, confidence in times of turmoil. Turmoil is going to come. It is. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Bad things happen. The passage we looked at said, join me when suffering with Jesus Christ. You're going to suffer. It happens, guys. There's, coming to, to know Jesus Christ doesn't mean all of our problems are taken care of. Turmoil is going to happen. It's going to happen, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be tumultuous, which is why we call it turmoil. No way around it. But you know, going through those times, as hard as they are, I know I have a God who's working on my side, and I'll get through make it. I don't want to go through them, but I make it. And I don't worry about it, and I don't panic, and I don't give up. I will get through them, because I have a Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ holding my hand, leading me through it, and He has never failed, and He never Here's another thing you can build your Jesus story around. Wisdom for a productive life. Hey, just, we live this world and, and we make stupid decisions. We make selfish decisions. We make decisions that, that hurt us. But you know what? Because I've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and he's helping me to understand wisdom, I'm beginning to make better decisions. And better decisions about how I live and about how I treat people, about how I spend my money, about how I invest my money. And I wind, wind up over a period of time going, you know, my life is actually more productive even though I don't have near as much money as some of the people that I know. Some of our relatives that have tons more money and yet they're in debt and they're going through bankruptcy and they're going through divorces and they're going through all the things that are just ruining their life. And here Linda and I, and, and we do very well comparatively, but not as well as others. And, and yet the, where we are in, in our life is just amazing. Why? Because God is teaching me how to live a productive life. Or how about this final thing then for your Jesus story? Transformation for a better me. Sometimes people see the Bible and they think Christianity is uh, all about rules. You know, you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do that. Well, I'm going to shock you guys here in just a moment, but I tell you what, I get as drunk as often as I want to. I do. 
and I get high on drugs as often as I want to. And I have as much extramarital sex as I want to have. Which, by the way, is none. Because I don't want to do those things. I don't want to get drunk. I don't want to get high on drugs. I don't want to cheat on my wife and sleep with other women. I don't want to do those things. It's not about a rule that says don't do it. It's about an inner transformation. So when everybody says, well, the Bible's... Well, it's not about, I, have, I get drunk as much as I want to. I really do. Go out and party on a Friday night and take drugs and get drunk and sleep around as much as I want to do. I just never do it because I don't want to. Because my Jesus story is about a transformation. Without Jesus, I might want to do those things. I'm walking with Jesus and he's changing. I don't want to do them. It's just that simple. I've shown you several videos of how not to do it. Let me show you a good one. Theology? Logic? Steps? No. This is what I was. I met Jesus. I've overcome. That's your Jesus story. That's what you share. 
A couple things before we close. This is really important right here. I want you to realize that it's okay to say, I don't know. Because that will happen. You know, well, I know who I am in Christ. Well, how did that happen? And you say, I don't know. I, I, don't, know, I don't have all those answers. I don't know how it all worked. I don't know why this is working for. I can't tell you why. I just know one word. Jesus. That's all I can tell you. And I can't explain it to you. All I can do is share it with you. Scripture tells us that we don't see things clearly. We don't understand this. We've been squinting in a fog, peering through mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright and we'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing Him directly just as He knows us. We don't know and understand. Stop pretending that you do. Stop thinking that you have to share this great logic with people. They don't care. We share one thing with them, and here it is right here. Jesus. Would you say that with me? Jesus. Do I know how it is that he brings me peace? Nope. But this is, what is bringing me peace? Jesus. Who is bringing me peace? Jesus. Who gives me purpose in my life? Jesus. Who is transforming me into the person I'm supposed to be? Jesus. How does he do that? I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. But I do know this. My Jesus story is, are you ready? Jesus. That's right. Way to go, Michelle. That's exactly right. This is what Scripture says right here. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. That's how powerful the name is. You thought the power was in your ability to understand the gospel and Scripture and to really argue somebody in through your great logic. And that was the power. No. The power is found in one name and one name only, and that name is Jesus. That's your Jesus story. I met Jesus. This is what I'm like. How did that happen? I don't know. I don't know. I just know it did since I met Jesus. So what's your Jesus story? I would love to hear it. I would love for you to you can You can email me, pastor at Salem First, Doug at Salem First, Doug Bailey at SalemFirst.com, all those work. I would love to hear your Jesus story. Probably, and do this, keep it short. Okay? One, I don't like to read five pages, but number two, nobody wants to listen to it if it's long. What's your Jesus story? What were you like? What has Jesus brought into your life? Giving the praise to Jesus. I would love to hear. And if I find some good ones, I'll even read them for you on Sunday morning. To say, here's the Jesus story. This is what people say. This is what Jesus has done. And that's what we share. Because it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And that is your Jesus story. Father, thank you. We need to be set free from that whole idea that we have to be theologians and we have to be eloquent and we have to know the gospel inside and out and we have to know the Bible inside and out before we can share. Father, it's not true. It's not true at all. We just need to know your son and the difference he's made and that's our Jesus story. We need to be always ready to share that with whoever we meet. Thank you, Father. Would those who are going to help me with communion come forward? The reason I share with you this morning is because, as we said, 
Scripture, time again, says be ready, be prepared. This time it was be prepared to tell your Jesus story. We need you, Jesus. Now, that means in the next couple of days, what would be great would be to practice and to write and to think about your Jesus story. Try to do it in 45 seconds, a minute at the most. Well, this is what Jesus Christ has done for me, knowing Jesus. And be ready to share that. And I'm going to be praying this, that God will give you the opportunity sometime in the next 7 to 14 days to share that story. You won't even know it's coming. Somebody you're standing next to, talking to, and suddenly you get to say, well, here's the difference he's made in my life. And if they say, well, how? You go, I don't know. He's God. I don't understand him. I just know that he's done it. Robert, would you come and help as well? We practice open communion here, which means anyone can receive the elements. In a moment, we're going to go into what we call our Selah time. And during our Selah time, is just, that just means think about it. What a great time to think about your Jesus story. What's the one thing you want to share with somebody? You don't have to have a Bible verse. Do you know that the entire early church, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ and the New Testament wouldn't be written for 20 years? How did they do it? They didn't share verses. They shared who? Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and when he given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant. My blood shed for forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. For as often as you do eat of this bread and drink of this cup, remember the Lord's death till he comes again. And Jesus, we just want to thank you for this time. You've done so much for us. Father, in the quietness of these next few moments, as we celebrate, let us understand our Jesus story, something we can share, 30, 45 seconds, one minute at the most, of what your Son has done for us and in us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.